Thanks for so Today we're going to continue in the series. We took a one-week break last week for a kind of Thanksgiving message. Um, what we've been in the series, if you're new with us today, we have been tracking along, um, and it's actually based on the sermon series based on a book called I Am a Church Member. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? First Corinthians 12, uh, Paul writes that when we are believers, we are followers of Jesus, he gives us this kind of analogy. He paints some of the pictures for us and says that as followers, as, as we belong to Jesus, we are all part of the body of Christ. And he says, it's, it's, the picture is like a human body. Every part of the human body has a function and has a role, and every part of the body is intended to function and do what it's supposed to do. And there are no parts that are just, well, we don't need that part. And there are no parts that say, well, those are the most important parts. It's all important. Everyone has a role. And so this guy, Tom Rainer, wrote this book called I Am a Church Member. And he looks at trends. He looks at things that are happening in the church world. That uh, There's some alarming things that he's looked at. That the church is in decline. And, uh, and, and, but it doesn't have to be that way. That Jesus said he would build a church to gain the power to prevail against it. And we want to be a part of a victorious church that God has called us to and to be members of his body doing what he has called us to do. Week one, we talked about becoming a functioning member. Again, every member of the body is necessary. That's biblical. And it must function. It must function with the other members to accomplish a goal. And so churches that are dying have uh, members a lot of times that have stopped functioning. They are believers, but they have stopped following what Christ told them. They just kind of maybe come in on Sunday morning and then they're not plugged in anywhere else and they have stopped functioning and being a part of the body of Christ. Week two is becoming a unifying member. That unity is critical and essential for the church to succeed and accomplish the mission that it's called to. Again, dying churches, you will see a trend um, that, church, that, that they're in disunity, division, reigns. Um, we make petty things battleground, and we fight over silly things, and the enemy tries to get us there. God is saying, I, I want you to be unified, and just like a human body needs to be in unity, that you can't have one part of the body wanting to go over here, and another part of you would get broken apart. And so, even to the importance that Jesus prayed for our union, He prayed for us before He died. And He said, Father, I pray that they, us, would be one as you and I, Father, are one, so that the world would know, so that the lost would know the gospel. That's what Jesus prayed. That's how important unity is. Week three is becoming a serving member. The chapter of the book is, I'm not going to let my personal preferences rule and reign in the church. I mean, we have preferences. But if we're following Jesus, He will lead us to serve. Remember, He said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give up His life. And He said, I came to be a slave, putting other first, laying down the rights to myself. And so becoming slaves of the gospel, thinking of others before we think of ourselves. And so this is a part of how He established His kingdom on the earth, laying down our lives as he did, so that others could come to know him. And again, churches that are dying, the trends are they become self-focused, they have forgotten the mission, they, they've forgotten that people need to desperately hear the gospel, and it becomes self-serving and need-focused. What are you doing for me? And so Jesus is going to lead us completely opposite of them. 
Week four was I will pray for my church leaders. And, and again, we need your prayers as church leaders because we are broken and we need Jesus just like everyone else. Uh, church leadership, again, as a part of the body, is one of many roles. It's not the most important. Just because I speak here, maybe I'm up front, doesn't make my role any more important than your role. We all have a function, but we need your prayers. Somewhat, the, uh, the leaders are on the front lines. God has called humans to lead, and I would want to be amazed at that, but that's how he set it up. He gives vision and mission to the leaders, and, uh, and we have to you know, follow him and ask God for your so we, we ask for your, your help and your prayers and to uh, come along with us as we do this together. And so this week, um, it's actually part one of a combination of the last two chapters of the book. And so I, I kind of was trying almost like a record to see if I could come up with the longest sermon title ever known in the end. Because I, I read the I read the, the, the you know the chapter five and, and, and then I read chapter six. I'm like those those go together. The two chapters actually merge together so beautifully. And so what I'm going to do is you know the, the, the sixth chapter is this. The sixth chapter is I will treasure church membership as a gift. And chapter five is I will lead my family to be healthy church members of the church. And so I've entitled, as you can see, this week and next week's sermon, Because I Treasure Church Membership, I Will Lead My Family to Be Healthy Members, Parts 1 and 2. If you're taking notes, then you need to have like really, you know, like a, a long stretch across the top. So I hope you don't get lead, uh, lost in that. Uh, Jill, as you update the website, it's the time church member part 5. <laughs> Thank you. On the website, which is part five and part six, it's great. Jill does a great job putting our messages on the website. To me, this is the obvious order. As we follow Jesus, we take up His vision and His mission as members of the body of God, His body, called the church. When we understand the beautiful value that it's a gift and a treasure to be a part of the church. It's a, a privilege that we are called to minister and do what we are called to do as the church. I think it becomes the obvious step that we then lead our families to be healthy members of the church. But if we don't understand the value and the treasure of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, it's hard for us to instill that in our families. Um, let me just pause here. If you're single um, and you don't have a family yet, if you understand the gift of being a member of the church, my encouragement is that you grow and you strive toward being that healthy member. And ultimately, if God, you know, so chooses to uh, give you a family, that then you lead your family in that direction. And so we can all benefit from this today. But all of the different things that we've led up to, all the things that we've been talking about that pertains to being a healthy church, member functioning, doing your part, unity, um, being a unifying member, being a serving member, you know, not letting the church be about your personal preferences and, and then praying for church members. All of these are attributes, all of these things begin at home. The value in the treasure begins at home. Leading and teaching our families begins at home. Let me say this, parents, you lead by example. 
you lead by the example that you live out in front of your children. They will learn way more on how we live more than what we say. That's a very convicting statement that is convicting to myself as well. More than the things that we say, they will learn by how we live. Ultimately, we live what we value and we treasure, don't we? What we value, our value system, those things that we treasure, we will ultimately live for. What do we give our time to? What do we give our resources to? What do we give our energy to? That's your value system. Let's take a look at a couple of passages in the scripture here. From the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 21. So for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's part of the Sermon on the Mountain. And, and, and that whole sermon, Jesus is dealing with our hearts. He cuts to all of the stuff that we can tend to maybe you know, put as a facade. We kind of want to look at He cuts all through that, through this entire sermon, and he gets to our heart. And he says this, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the things that you treasure, your heart follows that. It's just, it's just a fact. And so, when you're getting to know someone, it doesn't take that long to see where they put their time, energy, their resources. That's the value system. It doesn't take long to figure that out. And that's what Jesus is saying. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Your heart will follow the things that you treasure. And so, what do you treasure? And allow these things to kind of sink in as we do an inventory of our hearts. Do you treasure being a member of the body of Christ? Do you treasure the church? Or has it just become something that you just go through the motions as that's the world? Do we just go through the motions? Or maybe that was clear. I'm not sure. Do we value it? Do we treasure it? Do we understand the privilege of being a part of the vision and mission that He has called us to on the earth? And so, value and treasure of Jesus in the church begins at home. This happened, um, I think, maybe last week, a couple of weeks ago, but it happened again this morning. And, uh, and, and because it's a convicting thing, especially when your kids notice things that you do. And sometimes it's not for good. They wonder why you do certain things and you have to answer that. Why do you do that, Daddy? Why did you say that? Um, and more than not, it's very convicting. But when Athena is leading worship, I'm with Judah at home. Um, and she does leave her I come in here early and I, and I, and, and, and on Sunday mornings I at least try to carve out some time just to pray, kind of get my heart ready for what's going to, you know, what's going to happen the, 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 the Sunday morning stuff. And, and so, um, you know, Judah, you can give him breakfast and kind of get him settled there. And, uh, you know, and I'll put on some worship music and I'll, I'll just kind of pace around and he's in there. And um, the first time he kind of really, you know, just kind of looking at me and he goes, What are you doing, buddy? You know, kind of like, what, you know, I'm just walking back and forth and praying. And, 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 and I said, I'm praying and I'm talking to the Lord. I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to explain that. And he wanted me to hold him while I'm pacing. So here we go. And he's, you know, he's, if you notice, he's getting bigger and he's getting heavier. But, I, you know, he wants to do this, so I'm walking and I'm praying. 
And so he's just kind of quietly in my arms. He's just not really doing anything, and I'm praying, and then I'm not and, and so then we're trying to get ready, and he says this. He said, Dad, I like it when you pray. And man, that hit me more than I can express because you're in four and you're not thinking, is he, is he, does he really pay attention? Oh, yeah. They're watching. And he did it again this morning where he asked me before I prayed, he said, Daddy, you don't pray and walk again? I said, yeah, in a few minutes. And uh, I turned and, and he's eating breakfast and I said, I'm getting ready to pray. And he stands up, he puts his hands up, pick him up and here we go. And then we're getting ready and again, he said, Daddy, I, I like it when you pray. What do you treasure? Because it begins at home. Jesus, you guys understand this idea of being a part of the church, members of the body. Jesus puts the work of the kingdom in somebody. Not, not that he leaves us alone to do it, but he puts the work of the kingdom in our hands. Remember, he commissioned the disciples and he ascended to the Father and he's giving them the keys to the kingdom and they get ready to start the church. And he says, you won't be alone. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he'll give you power to do this. But I'm placing the work of the kingdom in your hands. And it wasn't just for them. It was for us as members of the body of Christ that he puts the work of the kingdom in our hands. To play our part. And then, as I mentioned in John 17, he prays for us. We're told also in Hebrews that he ever intercedes for us, so he's constantly praying to the Father for us. Do we understand the intrinsic value of what Jesus has called us to, the, the privilege? I think sometimes we become Christians and we're excited about following Jesus and we're glad we're saved, and I'm not diminishing that idea, but do we understand what He's called us to in mission and what that means to be a follower of Christ, a part of the body of Christ, His hands extended, His feet extended to the world around us? It's so valuable, and I think it's so easy sometimes, especially if you've grown up in the church and we've kind of gone through the motion of the church and you're in church, like my family, you know, every time the doors are open, we're at church. And, and, uh, and sometimes I think that we can miss the value or take it for granted. And I think God wants to infuse in a new way a love for His church and the love for the kingdom of God and value it. Ed Young said this a few years ago, and I thought this was such a great quote as he's talking about the mission of the church. He said, if you notice what happened, Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, the disciples went out, and the lost came in. That's what happened in Acts. We have the same calling. Jesus is ascended to the Father. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We are to go out. We are to minister to people. We are to love people in the name of Jesus. And then pray that God brings them into the kingdom. Souls saved. Souls transformed. The mission of Jesus. Seeking and saving the lost that they were once lost as we were. They were once on their way to hell. Eternal punishment. And that is all changed. And now they are on their way to heaven. Do we understand the power of that? And then Jesus says this in these parables. One of the shortest parables that he used in Matthew 13 and 44. 
to the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in joy, he sold all that he had and bought that field. Value. What do you treasure? And, 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 you know, and this can be used maybe for his own salvation. Maybe Jesus is painting the picture of when you understand salvation. But I'll take it a step further. If there is a treasure to our salvation, obviously. But if you think the kingdom of God is like, so there's a treasure in being a part of the church and being a part of the body of Christ. That when we understand the value of it, we understand what he's called us to, and, it, and, and then the, the idea is this man found it, and Jesus is just giving the story. This man found it, he did it, he sold everything. In other words, he says, for this, for the value of this, for the treasure that is this, I'm all in. I'll sell everything to this. I'll give everything to this. I'll give my life to this. Do you treasure it? the kingdom like that. When we understand how much Jesus loves people, how much Jesus loves you, I'm so convinced that if people understood just a little bit what Jesus felt for them, their lives would be changed. And as part of the church of God is a part of our mission is to help people understand it. Do we treasure the kingdom like that? Do we value it like that? And so the kingdom, the church, salvation, the work that we get to do, and as we get to do it, it is a treasure. It's a treasure. But again, in this whole idea, we train our children in our homes by what we treasure where we put our time, where we put our energy, where we put our resources. They are watching. Look at this passage from Deuteronomy. From the Old Testament. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. And so there was something, even in back in the Old Testament, where God was telling his people to instill the things they were learning, to instill the kingdom of God into the next generation. Talk about it. Use teachable moments. I'm not saying you have to read the Bible for five hours in the evening. But I'm saying, have a culture in your home where we have Jesus in the center. And even in the Old Testament, they were saying, value this. Value it and place it into the next generation because they will um, eventually take the baton from us and they will run the race after us when we are gone. Instill it into them. Instill the things of God, those eternal things, into your children, into the next generation. And then Joshua 24 is the next one from the Old Testament example here. Many of you are familiar with this. This is Joshua's kind of farewell address. And he's calling the people to godliness. And he's calling the people because he knows what's in front of them. You know, that they're going into the promised land. And he says, you know, when you get there, there's a lot of promise, but there's going to be a lot of temptation. You know, you can, you can go this way or you can go this way. You can live life God the way God wants you to or you can live it your way. It's up to you. And he kind of gives this declaration. He says, now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself the day, this day whom you will serve. In other words, you're not making you. God's not going to force you. You've got to make a decision here. Whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And he was making a declaration. He said, you got to make a decision here. And the weight of that decision falls to us in our home's parents. It falls to you. It's in your hands. And that you can say, well, I'm going to live life my way, I'm going to do it my way, or I'm going to serve the Lord. And Joshua was kind of putting the stake in the ground. This is my house. We're going to serve the Lord. It won't be a perfect house. We're going to need forgiveness. We're going to need redemption. And we're going to need Jesus every day. But we're going to serve the Lord. Because that's what we treasure and that's what we value. And he's saying the choice is yours. How are you going to lead your family? How are you going to lead your home? What will be your priority? It's up to you. And then this next passage is one that I have preached on several times, but it bears repeating in Nehemiah 4. The setup here is here that the walls of Jerusalem have been crushed and crumbled, and, and, uh, and Nehemiah, who is from there, he's working for a foreign king, and he has a burden to go back, and God gives him this mission and vision to go rebuild the walls. Because it's tattered, he hears the report and he's heartbroken that you know the, the, the walls are destroyed. And he gets this vision and mission of God. He asks the king, "Can I go back?" The king gets him permission, so he goes. And God gives him the mission and the vision. But there's there's opposition and there's enemies that want to defeat them and keep them from rebuilding. And he gets some leaders around him and he says, "All right, let's take a look and let's investigate what's going on." And they finally they investigate and do some work, and he says, all right, we've got to get busy on what God has called us to do. Then in chapter 3, it's all these lists of people's names, and he's setting them on, on different parts of the wall. Okay, your family rebuilds this, and your family rebuilds this, and your family rebuilds this, and if we're all working together, and we all stay unified, we will accomplish the rebuilding of the wall. And then in chapter 4, let's pick it up. Meanwhile, the, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving up. It is hard work. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. So there's opposition to the vision and the mission. The enemy wants to disrupt them. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told them ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And so there's fear of, you know, we've got this vision and mission and the enemy's coming. Let's go the next slide. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall in exposed places, posting them by families. Posting them by families. With their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Fight for them. Yes, the enemy is real. Yes, the battle is intense at times. But this picture in Old Testament is actually, and it really happened, but it's somewhat a prophetic picture of, to me, of the church. 
Nehemiah is, again, it's a great prophetic picture of the body of Christ. There's brokenness in the walls, and you know, and so there's a vision missing. And we say there is brokenness in us and people out there. There are people that desperately need Jesus that are broken, and they need the gospel. And so there is a vision and mission that God has called us to. There is opposition. This is in that day. There is opposition. Paul tells us that we are in a battle. That we are, you know, we were born into war. There is a spiritual war that's raging all around us that we cannot see with our eyes. And he said it's not against flesh and blood. The enemy will try to make it that. He'll make it divisive. He will try to, you know, break up your unity. But the battle's not against people. It's against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual battle going on. The enemy does not want people to come to know Christ. And God is calling us to the vision mission case. Stay on task. And just like there was opposition then, we are going to have opposition now. So what do we do with it? Well, we fight not with weapons of men, but of weapons of God. The people work on the wall, again, as families. I love that picture. It's facing them like families. That they can find their purpose and they can get involved. Fight for your family. Establish your homes with Jesus in the center. Value and treasure Him. Value and treasure the King. That's how you fight for your family. As opposed to letting the enemy pick you off and take your family apart and then ultimately taking the church apart. And so can you imagine this picture? Here they are by families, and they have to they have to work, and they have to fight. They have to fight, and they have to work, but they are working side by side. And that's this whole idea of functioning. You know, one family could say, well, oh, we just don't want to do it. We, you know, we would just rather, um, you, you know, if we could just talk about what we'd rather do, we would just rather actually work once a week on Sunday from 9.30 to 11. That's when we'll work. And then what happens is if you have people that are just kind of picking and choosing when they want to do things, then the other families around them would have had to take on their work and they would have gotten exhausted. So, no, we are all in all the time. We are part of the church more than just Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11. We are the church out there. This is a part of it. But we are the church all the time. And we value here and we value being the church out there. But as the story goes, they stayed focused on the vision and the mission. They did not let the enemy infiltrate, although the enemy tried to cause them to have division. They didn't let the enemy infiltrate, and they finished the rebuilding of the wall in 52 days because they kept their eyes on the vision. And they treasured it, and they understood the importance of it. They said, we value this, and we treasure it. So it's taking my family and saying, we're going to be a part of the church. We're going to be a part of the mission of the church, and we're going to do it together. We're going to fight for each other and for other families. But we're going to do our part. And I love this New Testament example up here where Paul is writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5. We'll do the next one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, not his actual son. Paul is his father, mentor, 
grace, mercy, and peace from the God of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, giving out. Thank God who I serve, serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. So it's kind of this beginning of this letter to Timothy, verse 4. Keep going there. There we go. Thanks. He says, recalling your tears as I long to see so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. And listen to what he says. And again, this is not much so much doctrine as uh, doctrine teaching. He gets into that in this letter, but he's recognizing something in Timothy. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And so he's commending to me. He said, I love your faith. He said, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you. You ever think about why some of these things are in the Bible? They're there for a reason. God doesn't just have like extra parts and say, I can do with or without that. There's something important that we, if we, if we just get lost over, we can miss. Now, Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. He calls him several times my son in the faith. Timothy's own father, we are told in Acts 16, he was a Greek and evidently not very involved in his spiritual development as a child. Why do we know that? How do we know that? Paul refers to the faith of Timothy's grandmother and mother. He said, I'm reminded of the faith that was in your grandmother and your mother and now is in you. Do you see what's happening there? He says, I recognize something. There is something about generations passing faith down to the next generation. That we would pour into it and this godly grandmother and mom have poured something into Timothy who was one of the most predominant known first century pastors that did a great work. And it was because his grandmother and his mother said, we are going to instill something in him. And in Acts 16, we are told that his, his dad was a Greek, and so but we don't really have much else there except that Paul doesn't mention his dad here. He said, it's the faith of your grandmother and your mom. Influential in his spiritual growth. I say, go moms. Go grandmoms. If you're a single mom here today, or single dad, God bless you that you're doing that. It's hard. I know single parents feel very alone. And they have to fight so many battles and they do it all by themselves. We as the church need to pray for them and lift them up. And so when dad's not there, or, or one of the Spouses is not there. Parents keep doing it, keep going, instill in them faithfulness. But let me pause here and step aside. If you're a dad here today, Paul calls you the head of your home. Again, as you look at value, this is not this is like the church. Some there are just different roles. There's not value attached. The husband, the father, the dad, he is called to be the head of his home spiritually. He should be leading his home spiritually. The numbers are also out there, and if you study the numbers, when a mom is faithful to the Lord, her kids will come to church and her family, they will retain faithfulness in the family, um, and it's low, about 20 to 30 percent of the time. When a dad does it, it's about 80 to 90 percent. Isn't that amazing? 
But dads, you are the spiritual head of the home, and you are the leader of your home. You're, you're, you are accountable to God in the order in which God is, again, not in a value of role. Dads can understand, fathers, you can understand, it's not about dictating your home. If you're dictating your home, if you are ruling with an iron fist, you are in sin. Because the way Jesus led, the way Jesus was the head of the church is he served. And so, when we talk about headship or we talk about leadership, a lot of times in culture, people kind of, they, they kind of bristle them a little bit and say, well, you know, wait a minute, you know, um, because what we have done in culture is what we've done in hierarchy and say that's more important. That is not the case. It's leadership by serving. But dads, there is a heavy weight and responsibility on you to lead your families to the Lord, to lead your wife to pray with your wife and your children. If you've not been doing that, it's a great day to start. Don't feel condemned. Say, today I'm going to start anew and I'm going to lead my family to die and pledge and be a part of the church. But take that initiative, guys. As we treasure, as we love, and we value the church and being a member of it, how do we lead our families to become healthy members of the church? You're going to find out those answers next week. Like the miniseries, remember? You guys remember that when you were watching the miniseries? Or a great show. Remember Little House in the Prairie? Come on, any Little House fans here? That's awesome. Look at the hands, man. Some people watch it now and they're like, you like, you like that? I love that show. Remember though, you didn't know it was going to be a two-parter. You're watching and you're just engrossed in it and you're like, man, they're going to have to do something quick. The hour is almost over. Our family used to watch Little House in the Prairie all the time. It's like, oh man, something's going to really happen. Either they're going to have a two-hour special or it's going to fade and that to be continued. And you're like, yeah, we'll wait seven days now. Oh man, oh, this is killing me. Now we go online and just watch part one into it. That's kind of what it is today. I'm, I'm, we're going to find out that next week. And so if you're excited about that, you have to come. We're going to talk about you know, practical ways of how we can lead our families to become healthy members of the church. And so what's the big idea today? Um, ultimately, are these questions as we inventory our life. Do you treasure your relationship with Jesus? Do you take it for granted at times? I know I, know I, I do. I, I, I take it for granted. Ultimately, do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you surrendered your life and your heart to Him? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus? If not, this is a great day to do it. It's a great day to do it. It's a great day to say, Lord, I'm going to put my life, my faith, my trust into your hands from this day forward. I mean, ultimately, the core message of Jesus when he came is he invited people to come into life with himself, to give you life more abundantly. But you're going to have to repent of your sins. Repent simply means, and we hear that word repent, and we can kind of get these weird views of you know, people standing on the street screaming at people to repent. Repent is actually a beautiful word, and I think that we've missed the context because of human people. But repent is a beautiful word. Jesus said, when he says repent, and Jesus said that. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven. He said, John the Baptist preached that. Paul throughout his letters said, repent. Repent means to, I was walking this way. I was living my own life. I'm making my own choices. And it's actually to turn. Repent means to turn and go the opposite way. Now, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm placing those things behind me. The old is gone. I have become a new creation in Christ. 
I'm not dictated by the shame of my past, the sins of my past. Those are in the past. As what Paul says, I forget what lies behind and I press on to what God has for me. That is what it means to follow Christ. To repent is beautiful. Repenting of your sins. So you haven't done that. I encourage you to do that. If you are a believer, if you are a follower, what value do you place on your part as a member of the body of Christ? So my heart for all of us is allowing the Holy Spirit to stir up new love, a new value to treasure being a part of the body of Christ. Because the church that Jesus came and He gave His life to the church, all of us in our brokenness, all of us in our dysfunction, He came because He loved us and He gave His life for us. The church, the people that would belong to Him, He gave us out of love for us. This is how He demonstrated His love. He Christ came and He gave His life for us. That's His intrinsic value. That's how He treasures the church. Do we treasure the church like that? Pray that God would stir in our hearts a new love, a new value. To remember the mission, to remember the vision that He has called us to. He can save the lost. He lives transformed. He loves people, just serve people. Just, you know, God help us to remember that He has called each of us out of darkness and into light. He's saved us. He's redeemed us. He's rescued us, and then He has called us to be members of His body. Remember what Jesus said. He said, "The kingdom of heaven." Let me go on to say further. The kingdom of heaven, the body of Christ, your church, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When that man found it, when you find your place, when you find the value in the church and being a member of the church, he hid that treasure and then he, for joy, he went and sold everything and he bought the field so that he could have the treasure. Does that describe your love for the church? Does that describe your love for the kingdom of God? If not, again, let's allow Him to put that joy and that value in there once again. What do you treasure? Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying and giving your life for us. Lord, that you call us out of darkness in our own filth and our own sin. David writes that you pulled us out, up out of the mud and the mire. We are filthy in our own sin. We are dirty and we cannot save ourselves. We cannot clean ourselves. We cannot wash ourselves. We are a filthy mess. And then you take us and you embrace us and you cleanse us and you cleanse us from unrighteousness and you cleanse us from sin and you purify our hearts so that we can have new life we can have a, a new season, a new book, and we can forget the former things. We can cast off shame and regret, and we can follow you, Lord God. Thank you. And thank you that, Lord, as you call us from that, and you call us into that life, you've also called us and put your mission and your vision in our hearts, that we can then spread that same message to others by loving them, by serving them, by proclaiming the gospel. 
God, I pray today that through your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, by your power, give us a love for the church. Help us to treasure it. Help us to value it. Value our place. Value our place as members of the body of Christ. To never forget what you did for us. And to always remember that we are on mission with you. And it's in the glorious name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Again, if you're one of our newcomers in the last 18 months or so, please join us for a meal upstairs. We would love to have you. Even if you did not know what was happening today, we want you up there.